welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Hunt Backcountry podcast today. This is episode number 204, and we're talking about the topic of aftermarket rifle stocks. So what are the advantages? If you're interested in a rifle stock and upgrading a rifle stock, what should you look for? What are you going to get out of spending that money? We asked those questions and many, many more with our guest, John, from Mesa Precision Arms. Mesa Precision is a full-service custom rifle builder, but they've also designed their own custom stocks that they offer for Remington and Tika actions. So if you own a Remington or Remington clone, or like me, you own a Tika rifle and you want to get rid of that factory Tupperware stock, Mesa is a good place to look. We talk with John about the anatomy of rifle stocks and materials and really dissect what to look for and what to understand about choosing an aftermarket rifle stock. Before we get into that discussion, I want to thank djohn243 for leaving us a review on the podcast. Guys, this helps us tremendously. If you leave a review in iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can, wherever you listen to this, leave that review. You'll be entered into these giveaways. It's all you got to do is just share us your feedback. And speaking of the feedback, specifically for this month, here in December of 2019, we're offering you guys a chance to win an Exo Mountain Gear pack system of your choice if you complete a survey for us. So the survey is short and sweet and simple. We want nothing more than to understand your feedback so we can improve this show in 2020 and make sure that we're covering the topics that you want to hear about. So if you want to hear more about this opportunity and the survey and get the link, check out the previous episode. It's Monday Minute 52. You'll hear all about it. Or open up the description for this episode. Look for the survey. When you complete the survey, you'll be automatically entered into win the K3 pack system from us at Exo Mountain Gear. Guys, it's time to get into this discussion. Again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the holidays. John, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, man. Thanks for joining us. Yep, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, just to kick things off, um, just go ahead and give us like a personal introduction background. I know that You've hunted for a long time, a bunch of different species, been in the military. Before we talk about Mesa Precision, just you personally give uh, the listeners kind of a quick introduction. Um, yeah, it's uh, no problem. Just grew up in western Colorado and had the opportunity to, to hunt a lot of elk and mule deer, of course, and and chase some critters at a young age uh, and, uh, you know, became somewhat of an obsession. You know, back back in the day, we didn't have cell phones or social media, so it was it was it's a whole different world back then but we uh we had a great time we uh you know as i grew up and got older uh, my passion just got more uh early 2000s i went to the military and the marine corps and i caught i had i lost a few years of, of hunting um but it 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 actually heightened my my you know what i wanted to do i wanted to i wanted to hunt western big game I wanted to be able to shoot it a long ways as far as I could back then 500 yards is a long way. So anyway, uh, 
gave me an opportunity when I got out to travel up into Alaska a few times, chasing caribou, uh, moose, and then got down into Mexico and, you know, hunted, you know, every Western state I could buying landowner tags and, and doing that just to feed that passion. So just, just was very fortunate. Yeah, that's cool, man. So at, at what point did getting into the industry in terms of the firearms industry, rifle work, that type of thing, what point did that kind of become an idea and how did it come together with Mesa Precision? Well, in, in 2007, I got out of the Marine Corps. Um, you know, it, it gave me an idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, that's when, you know, back when uh, ballistic calculators and, and even range finders were, were at a minimum. Um, long range hunting was becoming a little bit more popular. And that's what's fueled it. Um, I had a job actually in, in the oil field where I only worked six months out of the year and paid pretty well. So basically that funded me with time and money to learn, learn this, uh, this trade. And I spent a lot of money, a lot of time, um, building guns, learning, going to schools, figuring out what I needed to do. And then, uh, actually putting it into perspective on going on hunts, you know, um, I travel and, and go hunt and get a tag and, and make it happen. So that fueled it. And by 2010, you know, I was like, man, I start, I learned how to build guns. I actually, you know, got a lathe and, and, and did everything to, to make it happen. And then, uh, in 2014, Red Hawk Rifles, uh, hired me. Um, I ended up being a general manager there. And basically, if, if, if listeners look up Red Hawk Rifles, you'll see what they, we did and what they do now. It's huge in the precision parts and, and stuff and long range uh hunting and uh anyway moving forward met chad Dreher, my business partner he was in the other part of the industry um red hawk rifles was kind of winding up and changing directions so him chad and i uh joined up and uh said let's let's start uh mesa precision arms and uh we hit the facet and the niche that we wanted to basically and that's where we're at now that's awesome so what is the focus for that niche for mesa Basically, it's uh, long-range hunting is, is main, our main uh, focus point, and long-range long hunting precision parts, such as the rifle stocks, the actions, the supporting components, such as that. Yeah, we're going to spend the meat of this episode talking about stocks um, and what goes into aftermarket stocks, how to choose one, materials, all, all those aspects, but... Um, you know, it's interesting we talk about long range, especially these days, because that's that means many different things to many different folks. Um, but in terms of the customers that you're seeing, like what's what's new? What are you seeing from customers and what they want from like a custom rifle build these days? What are you guys building a lot of in terms of, you know, you can take that from a cartridge perspective or just what they're looking for from a custom rifle? Um, basically, the the market's fallen into a lightweight, as light as we can get it rifle. Um, that is not too bulky and is very accurate, which is a lot asking for a lot, of course, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's hard to, hard to get all those things in one, but it, it can be done. Of course. Um, another thing with optics, uh, there's a lot of customers that, that are, uh, these custom turrets, these long range turrets we're seeing a lot of with these optics. Um, we didn't see that before, you know, there's some main companies that push that pretty hard and, uh, Carbon fiber and titanium, man. That's the that's the name of the game. So, what are you seeing as the the biggest downside to a lightweight rifle? 
The biggest downside, a lot of, you know, to get the weight down, you got to lose mass, you know, as everybody knows. Uh, and usually when you lose mass, you get a rifle that feels like a, a, a Daisy Red Rider, really small, dainty, you know, not very durable. And uh, that's what I've seen, you know, and that's, that's the biggest hurdle to get across right there. You guys, you mentioned you making actions, um, making stocks and a couple other things. There's a lot of rifle builders out there that aren't really making anything. They're just kind of doing assembly from other parts. There's a ton of custom, uh, custom action manufacturers that basically just work with actions. And there's a lot, obviously, to precision in, in terms of actions. But there, honestly, I, I just don't see where there's a big space. Um, there's a few big names in, in making aftermarket stocks. But like for you guys, what led you to go with stocks as one of the components that you guys actually wanted to design and develop? Um, you know, the biggest thing that hurdle that we've seen in the, before starting Mace Precision Arms was, was the, the actual manufacturing lead times from, from the big manufacturers of rifle stocks. Um, that was, that was really hampering people's ability to, to turn over rifles quickly and, and get the rifle to the end user. And so I knew from day one that, that we had to figure out that hurdle and bridge that gap so we could have you know, a, a rifle that can be built in weeks instead of months for, you know, for customers. That's what, that's what led us to the, to get into the stocks. So. Yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of take a deeper dive into stocks, but I'm curious as you looked at your design, cause your design is unique in terms of um, the actual mold, the shape, the features, the details, like what were you going for with your particular stock design? Um, you know, I was going for a, a, a hunting stock that wasn't, too tactical too bulky in the forearm you know too square and then on the on the back side we run these big scopes nowadays so i wanted to keep the cheek uh you know the comb as high as i could without without interfering with you know anything i didn't want to have an adjustable cheek piece because i wanted to keep the weight down on this on the altitude stock so you know the negative comb actually that we have where it's lower in the front of this uh butt stock and it rises towards the back it helps it helps with recoil so it doesn't pound you in the cheek when you, when you shoot. You know, um, the vertical grip that we have, it's kind of a hybrid um, vertical grip. You know, just the, with proper shooting form, it's super comfortable. But it's still a stock. You can lay down to shoot on the prone, but you need to go sneaking through the woods and, and shoot something still hunting. You still, you know, it's not too cumbersome or anything. So Cool. For guys who aren't building a custom rifle, but maybe have a factory rifle that they're planning on upgrading over time, or they're just kind of ready for something new. Maybe they just want to replace factory Tupperware. Where do you talk about just kind of the priority of upgrading a stock or what are the benefits just at a super high level of taking a factory rifle and then looking at upgrading to a stock such as yours, um, what are, what are those benefits that a hunter is going to see or going to get if they're just completely new to this world? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a majority of our customers went, go and buy a rifle off the shelf at a big box store and they go out and shoot it and doesn't shoot well. So, the, you know, the n- number one culprits, the stock, usually uh, the way the fit and finish is with pressure points and such. But long story short is once that customer takes that quote-unquote Tupperware stock off, and puts on a, a precision milled out, you know, CNC milled out stock to fit their action and their barrel, you know, and the fit is just second to none, whether it's us or any of the big manufacturers. 
what that achieves is 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 it's going to make that rifle shoot as accurately it can with that barrel. I mean, minus a few other alterations, of course, but it really, really benefits the, the customer. Um, another thing is just the feel, the feel of the stock, um, the way it fits them. You know, usually 90, you know, these, these stocks are made to, to fit really well with people. And then the, the last thing is durability. I mean, you can beat the tar out of these things, you know, and it's it's going to be repeatable and, and not deviate from what it was when you first bought it. Is a guy's beginning to consider upgrading an aftermarket stock? There's depending on maybe the rifle platform you're shooting in terms of like action or brand. There's potentially a lot of different options out there. And then you know you mentioned earlier you run into more tactical uh, focused stocks. You run into stocks that are more for bench rest, more suitable for prone kind of break down like at a high level some of the things to look for and then maybe something that is built well for hunting but isn't just your typical old you know sporter hunting stock like what are some of those things just that someone should begin to look at is it grip is it shape is it materials and then we'll dive deeper into each of those yeah no worries um the first thing i look at is material I want to make sure that that we're not going to have issues when it comes to durability, of course, and then of course, and then uh, cold and hot weather, and then moisture. So that's the first thing that I would look at, you know, and and uh, you know, materials nowadays is fiberglass and, and carbon fiber. So that's probably what you're going to get into. Um, there's another there's another aspect to look at. There's molded stocks and there's hand laid stocks. There's two different price points there. Um, the reason why is because the manufacturing time and cost. So usually hand laid stocks, um, brands out there, uh, Manners, uh, AG Composites, you know, Macmillan, um, us, you know, it, those are hand laid. Those can be more expensive, but yet more durable usually and fit better. Um, when it comes to, uh, to shape, I guess, and not like, like you're using your granddad's uh, Model 70. Um, there's so many different shapes of stocks nowadays, so many molds. It's 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 hard not to find something that, that works for you. Um, these companies have really tried their hardest to, uh, to, to make a, a hybrid stock, as we call it, from long-range hunting. That's what I like to use. It, it allows you, just like I said before with our stock, um, allows you to sneak through the woods and not have a huge, huge profile rifle and be able to shoot something quick or allows you to sit back, get dialed in and shoot something long range. So basically we're looking for stuff with a skinnier front end, but not too skinny. Um, something that still can hold a bipod well, and still rigid enough. And then on the back end towards the buttstock, we want to have a higher cheek piece. So our cheek welds good when we're laying in the prone. Not too high though, so when we throw up to sh- do a quick shot on something in the woods, it's not going to be hard to get in the scope. And then another thing is the the grip. You know, usually a shotgun style or a, a straight traditional style grip, you know, uh, is not so liked. It, it it has it allows you to have poor shooting form at long range shooting the way you know the way you're supposed to shoot. So a little bit of a hybrid vertical grip gets that wrist and thumb down and it gets everything where it needs to be. That's something to look for too. So it's just, yeah, it's just a uh, thin line, really. So can you dive deeper into the grip there and kind of talk about why a straight grip? I mean, 
Is it just how you're holding the gun there with pressure from your fingers? Yeah. And yeah. maybe any tips on how to address yeah. that grip? Like, what does yeah. proper grip look like? Yeah. I mean, basically, if you guys can picture, uh, I know we're just talking here, but but when we're shooting, like, let's let's picture a shotgun. Everybody can understand the way a shotgun grip is, where where you have your elbow out and your, your hand is basically at a... Um, it's horizontal. Like you're, if you point your finger, you'd be pointing down the, the barrel of the shotgun and you have to hold your wrist up to be able to, uh, to be able to keep that grip to where it's supposed to be. What a vertical grip does is it allows that what we call a thumb shelf in the industry. It's not really a shelf, but it, you can see what I'm talking about. Instead of wrapping your thumb over the top of the stock, you actually want to have your thumb resting on top by the tang area. And it allows your wrist to, to, to droop down and, and, and basically you have no, muscle tension no torque in your wrist so it allows you just to operate your your trigger finger i mean without any resistance at all there's no pulling or canting or anything like that so that's yeah. basically the idea so to say yeah essentially as you're squeezing the trigger there's no tension built up anywhere else to kind of cant or torque the rifle you know what we see yeah. is and and as you get into it like if you have your thumb wrapped over the top and that's what a lot of customers like to do with our stock and they say well it's just too bulky i tried because they try to wrap their 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 thumb over the top and and actually grip it like handshakes like no we just want to cradle it with our hand and and you show them that way and they're like oh my gosh so it, it really does you know it is uncomfortable if you try to do it traditionally so um but once it once done right they people really like it backing up to materials what you mentioned carbon fiber and fiberglass being the, the two main options these days. What are the pros and cons? What's the kind of deciding factors to consider if guys are if looking at two options there? Oh, for sure. Um, uh, fiberglass has, that changed the, the industry, you know, uh, um, super strong, durable and lightweight for its time. Uh, the benefits of it nowadays is uh, fiberglass stock versus a carbon fiber stock is usually a little bit less expensive um because the material costs um some companies you won't find that but um in reality that's what it is and uh we've learned that fiberglass is you know it's strong but it's not as strong as possibly carbon fiber could be so that's where carbon fiber is it really hit the market strong so the downside of carbon fiber is you're usually paying a little bit more money for it because um, the process is to make it look and function the way, way it does. Is a carbon fiber stock, take shape and ergonomics and things out of it, like just if you take carbon versus carbon in stocks, are they, are they equal or are there different things that make one better than the other based on the resin or the fill or anything like that? Or is there, is there variability basically in that material itself? Oh, for um, sure. I mean, I mean, without indulging too much information, that basically – carbon fiber with this you know if you science the hell out of it as i call it and with the resins and and the way you treat it and the way it's manufactured is i mean it is strong i mean it is utterly it, it blows my mind how strong it could be um fiberglass same way but it's gonna it's not gonna be as strong um as carbon fiber in my opinion it, but the other caveat, I guess, I, I guess I didn't uh, tell you this. The carbon fiber is much lighter than fiberglass, so that's a, that's another thing that the carbon fiber has over fiberglass. To get the same strength out of fiberglass, it's going to be a lot heavier pro, you know, platform than than the carbon fiber style. So, mm. 
basically. Yeah. So if most guys take a factory rifle with, uh, you know, with a plastic stock, Tupperware stock, are they saving weight by moving to like a carbon fiber stock or is the weight pretty similar? They're just getting a much stronger, more rigid, more accurate, more comfortable platform. Um, to answer your question, they're probably not saving weight, uh, compared to their, their plastic stock. And, uh, you know, that's one thing we really hammered on with our stock is that we had to be at a certain weight, you know, to make it work. You know, our, our stocks are running from 24 to 27 ounces. Um, we're right in line with the Tupperware stocks, depending on the manufacturer. Um, but it's really hard to do. So the customer has to realize that they might have to upgrade you know, to a, they might have to, you know, have four or five more ounces to their, their rifle platform if they switch to a carbon fiber or a fiberglass stock. But the, I think the, uh, I think they'd like that carrying a little bit more weight than having that, that plastic thing, you know, on their rifle. So. Something that comes up a lot when you begin to look at stocks, just no matter what type is this discussion of length of pull, can you go ahead and kind of a, explain what that is for people who might be new, but B talk about how that is or is not relevant specifically for hunting. Um, and what, what someone should consider there with a, a stock, you know, most hunting stocks obviously have a fixed length of pull. Um, right. but just talk, just talk about that aspect. Yeah. I mean, length of pull we're get usually it's something we don't, uh, have to worry about with, with us guys, you know, um, you know, the only the only time it really becomes an issue is with with our with the ladies or or kids. Um, but long story short is if I I'm a I'm six foot four you know I'm a tall guy I have long arms and I shoot a thirteen and a half length of pull that's the industry standard right. Um, I have guys that are same size as me or a little smaller that request you know a fourteen and a half to add an inch and basically what we're all we're doing is adding you know, length to the buttstock to get the the trigger, so to speak, further away from you or the the scope. So, so basically the fit and function, it, it's, it's more what people have grown up with in the industry. It's been 13 and a half inches. So everybody's used to that. The only time we really dive into changing that is when it's obvious with, with a female shooter or, or a youngster, basically where they have to have it moved where it's so obvious it's pushing them out of the scope off the trigger, they have to move it. But the long story short is, you know, people really dissect it like in the, in the, in the target world, you know, and you know, all that stuff. And they really try to get those guns fitting as tight as they can and, and everything on the hunting side. I can, people just need to understand that if it fits good, you're in the scope, you have a good cheek weld, you don't have to reach for the trigger, you know, you, you're going to be okay. You know, when you lay down the prone actually, and the stock's a little long for you, you actually can scooch up on it a little bit and it's actually probably fit perfect. So, so I think, I think people get wrapped around that a little bit too much sometimes. And the thing I think it's interesting specifically for hunting is, shooting positions vary quite a bit and then oh, yeah. even you know clothing layers whether you do or don't have a pack on like there's all kinds of variables where your length of pull is essentially um, changing right like depending on how you measure it you might be in a totally different position wearing different things etc and it's going to throw that off theoretically no i agree and uh yeah it's just a whole different world from <laughs> there's no predetermined set that you're gonna when the, in the hunting world i guess so yeah okay 
So I'd love to, we talked a bit about grip and you mentioned foreign, but I want to talk more about just certain aspects of shape. Um, And you mentioned before comb. So again, explain what that is for guys that might be new, but then you talked about negative comb and how that affects recoil. Um, So just kind of pick that um, aspect apart in terms of comb and then some of the things to look for, consider there when looking at aftermarket stock. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the comb is basically where your cheek touches the top of the stock. Um, it's in cheek weld. We talk about that. A cheek weld is a good thing. We want to make sure our cheek is is planted firmly in the back end of that stock. So when we're looking through our scope, we're not sitting there in unstable position. So, you know, uh, we'll go in a negative comb, I guess we'll talk about. So a uh, negative comb in our world means that if you take your cheek piece, so to speak, on your stock, it basically droops forward as you get closer to the scope and it, it slants. And the reason why we want that is because when, when the recoil impulse happens, we don't want the, the, the recoil of the stock to hit us in the face. It actually, the negative comb moves the stock away from your face, allowing you to stay in the scope better. Um, there's some traditional stocks such as the Monte Carlo style. People have heard about stuff that it's a pad that's on there that, that, is the same level. So when as recoil impulse happens, it pushes your face off the scope, allowing you not to see your impact or just as not as as comfortable as it could be. So um, one thing you know that guys need to look at is is if you're shooting these big scopes, uh, the night forces, the you know the uh, Collis, uh, the big Swarovski stuff like that that if you have a, a stock that does not have a <clears throat> higher comb on it or a higher cheek piece, you're not going to be able to get your face down in that stock and be comfortable to shoot. So when you're picking out a stock, you know, make sure you ask, you know, what, what the comb height is, you know, is it made for this? You know, the, ask those questions so you're not uncomfortable or you're duct taping socks to the back end of your stocks to, to make it shoot the way it's supposed to. Yeah, when I was running a, a factory stock on my Tika before I went to the altitude, I had to run, um, I had to basically supplement that, like to get some extra comb to get into a comfortable position. I'm not even running a huge scope by any means, but though it was a huge difference going to that negative and raised comb. And then the thing I liked about it is you know, there's still full bolt movement um, and bolt removal for cleaning. You know, you don't have that interference that you do with some of those other options of, of raising your comb height. Um, is how much of that varies or is personal preference? Like on one hand, there's, it's great to add a riser or have adjustability or some sort of stock pack that can allow you to change the comb height because you can really tweak it. Um, on the other hand, I love the idea of not needing any of that for simplicity's sake. Um, is that something where a stock fits you or it doesn't, or the shooter can also kind of basically adapt themselves keeping good form still but somewhat adapt themselves to a a stock with a fixed comb such as yours no for sure um the main goal uh with the altitude stock was the weight you know and and, uh and we caught the comb height as high as we could with being able to do what you said remove the bolt be able to do some certain things so we accomplished that now the end user like like when we start to get really good into the into shooting we want it man i really want to tweak it one a little bit higher so the benefit uh or i guess the next thing we would do is, is come out with an adjustable cheek piece uh which we're we are 
currently working on right now. So the downsides to that is is giving up. Now you're adding, you know, eight to ten ounces to your stock and and uh, your your platform, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in the end it starts to add up a little bit. So that's the only downside, really. Um, if if backcountry, if you need to save every ounce, you know, and you have to have a light lightest platform you can get, the altitude stock weight is what you need to adapt to it. Let's say it's not high enough for you. I mean, just adapt to it. Like I said, take a take a sock and, and duct tape a, a sock to the back of that thing to make it work. I mean, you're adding two ounces, but you've got a comfortable shooting rifle. I mean, that's the way we grew up, and that's what we did. But um, you know, there's never settle. I guess. I mean, nothing's perfect. Uh, our face structures, our head structures, everything is different in every human. So, like my face is a little longer. You know, I have bigger cheekbones. So I don't have to worry about it. Some people that have smaller heads or smaller faces and smaller cheekbones, even though it's an elevated cone, they might still struggle with it. Um, so then maybe it's a good choice for them to go to adjustable stock at that point. They're going to shoot these big objective um, scopes, you know. So, yeah, just don't settle, I guess. That's why that's why we look at it. So, Yeah, and that's I mean, it's important to keep in mind that as much as that fit is a stock, um factor it's as much an optic setup factor because as you mentioned the bigger the objective you know the taller offset from the action like that's going to create the need for a higher comb in the stock so those two are you know it's not a one or the other they're both connected for sure well another thing too is that all of us are running 20 moa rails now or something you know and that raises the back end of that scope even higher so when guys go to you know set the, you know they shoot their setup for the first time man this scope's pretty high as well if, if, if you don't have to go with the 20 mo8 rail or something like that don't because that's just gonna add more to it so to take a quick diversion from stock since we're, we're talking about optic setups you know it, it used to see it more and more and more that guys were trying to slam the scope as low as possible um from the action in with barrel clearance of going yeah i can fit a dollar bill through there i'm good you don't right. see that as much of a concern anymore is that simply because more guys are running adjustable stocks or is there a reason that guys don't seem to be as concerned with having that scope, you know, as insanely low as possible? Yeah. I don't, I don't follow. I, I see that and I don't follow it too much. Uh, um, it, it, the adjustable stocks really has changed that. I think a lot, as you, as you're saying, guys aren't so concerned about their, their, uh, scope height because they can actually move the cheek to where they want it to. Um, we just see it more prevalent in, in the setups that we build with as lightweight as you can get them. And, uh, you know, they, they try to, we try to cram those things as close as we can without, like you said, without having issues. The biggest thing we see is scope covers. Like we have to have enough space in there for a scope cover to fit on. Cause we're getting them so tight. We can't even get the scope caps on or anything like that. So that's basically the way we do it, but it's all over the board right now. with what people are doing. So if guys are, if they're interested in seeing what's out there, maybe upgrading a factory rifle, looking at aftermarket stocks, um, you know, we've talked a lot about certain things to look for in a stock, but they need to begin with what can work with their rifle platform. Um, you guys have stocks for Remington and Tika actions, correct? Yep. yep. Yeah. So if a guy's shooting, you know, a Savage or a Browning or something else, like there, there's obviously many other brands, but I'm just curious from, from your guys' perspective, why, why did you guys start with Remington and Tika? And I think the Remington is kind of a no-brainer, not, 
not necessarily because Remington rifles specifically, but because there's so many actions built off of that same Remington, um, Remington dimensions and platform. But why was Tika a second choice for you guys? Uh, we were kind of, uh, Tika was never in my, my, um, eyesight until a year, a little over a year ago. Um, some, some clients came to us and says, you guys really need to build a Tika. We need Tika, 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 Tika. So I did some research and, uh, I figured out that Tika guys, it's like a cold, you know, those guys are hardcore. Uh, and I can see why it's a, it's a pretty cool platform that shoots really good, relatively inexpensive for what you're getting. So that started the journey of, uh, of getting into Tika's and I can see why uh, a lot of people haven't <laughs> dove into Tika's building and and letting for for you know stocks for that. It's it's a it's a platform that's unforgiving and it's so much different than a Remington style that it took a lot of tweaking, a lot of time, but we we did it, you know, and we ended up with a stock that 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 works really good. But um, basically, how we got into it is now now we're both feet running for it, so. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got into it because I'm that Tika guy and that's how I found you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. Uh, what is it, uh, just to take another diversion, what is it about Tika that makes it hard to work with? You said unforgiving. I know they're like kind of known for tight tolerances in general, but they have some different things going on with their action footprint. Do you see any of that as a, not from a stock maker perspective, but from the actual Tika action perspective, like as a benefit there, like is there anything you like about that or is it just different and hard to work with? No, Tika, uh, they were smart when they designed their, what they're using. They, uh, I could see where they, they, uh, saved on manufacturing costs, but still kept tight tolerances. Um, what they did is amazing. The, the downside to what they did is the way we traditionally fit stocks. And, and if anybody hasn't taken apart a Tika before, um, if you do, uh, the action screws actually, the how do I say this? They have three different lug systems. I would call it. They have a, uh, the action screw holes actually have uh, act as as recoil lug or a fitting tool, if that, if that makes sense. Where they actually are inleted into the pillar themselves, and and to get that depth where it needed to be without being too shallow to where we were causing tension when we screw down the, the action screws. Or being too too deep, where we're you know causing all these issues, that was really difficult to to be able to figure out the, the inletting process for that. Um, the uh, the other difference is is they have inverted recoil lug, where the recoil lug actually is is in the stock, and there's a inlet in the actual receiver of the Tika for that to fit. Um, another another hard thing we had to figure out was how do you how do you uh, inlet that to the depth it needs to be without being too deep where we actually have contact or we didn't want to press down on top that recoil lug from the top side, but we wanted contact from side to side. So that was, uh, I know that sounds kind of weird, but that, that was a, it was a hard endeavor, but we got it figured out and it worked great. So um, that's the only difference in the, in the actual Tang style. This, this Tang is different. The, the, the actual the platform with the magazine system is a little bit bigger, uh, like taller than a, than a Remington style. So we had to overcome that. We actually had to make new molds for the Tika um, to make it work the way we wanted it to. And uh, all in all, though, it's not, 
lot of downside to the actual platform. It was just uh, overcoming it to manufacture to accommodate it. So. So as we talk about actions and stocks and that interface, um, just leads me to think about questions on installation and bedding and what's needed or necessary there. Um, you know, especially going back, you hear more and more talk about bedding and glass bedding and pillar bedding and, and all kinds of things. It, it, what of that is still relevant these days with stocks such as yours um, or other stocks that have such high quality materials and precision inlets? Right. So, uh, so basically, uh, we, we call our stock a Remington Inlet. So that, that leaves it very vague, like we just discussed. But there's so many platforms. Um, basically, when it comes to, to the fitment, we get it as tight as we can to those, those, uh, those actions without being too tight to where it's not fit. And what that creates is a uh, you know, very secure area for that, that action once it's screwed down to, to be sitting in. Now, to get everything out of it or to make the, your rifle more consistent by glass bedding, um, you know, glass bedding is going to hold that thing there without any movement. So when the recoil impulse happens, we're not having shift, you know, microscopic shift points or, or pressure points on certain parts of the action. Other parts are free-floated. It's, it's hugging it pretty good. And that's the reason why we glass bed it. No matter if it's our custom action or a Remington off the shelf, we, we want to get some glass bedding in there um, to make sure that we have the consistency we need. And then uh, on the pillars, we have pillars already installed on our, on our stocks and we know them out. We know them out the same radius as the, as the action. So the fitment, it can be, it's as good as it can get without making a mere copy of glass bedding your action in there. So that's, that's basically what we think. Okay. Just in general, if a customer is looking to upgrade a stock, necessarily just yours, but just in general, would you recommend that they work with a gunsmith or someone to bed that, or at least check the fitment or is it pretty plug and play? And I know we're obviously speaking about some unknowns here with what action they have and what stock are they looking at, but just in general, how do you feel about a guy going off the shelf? Yeah, I'm going to buy this stock on the internet and just bolt it up with torque specs and that's it. Yeah, you know, I, I encourage people to kind of kind of try that and then and, and the and the make some. The only thing I say is go out and actually shoot your rifle and see see what happens. If if you see a drastic improvement and it's as good as you know it's as good as you want it and you're happy, then then rock and roll. You know, go out and have fun. If you bolt it up and oh my gosh, this thing's shooting horrible now. Well, there's a mechanical error in there somewhere where we have a pressure point that we caused and. And that's when I would probably consult with a gunsmith, you know, and uh, and have them take a look at it. Could it be a simple, you know, pinched uh, uh, four player or a um, internal box mag in between the receiver and the stock, or something simple, or it could be a a manufacturing issue with the stock that we need to take a look at, and maybe glass bedding would would uh, would fix that, you know. So, but I I encourage people to. Uh, Order online, you know, talk to the manufacturer of the, uh, of the stock for any assistance. That's their job. You know, that's my job. And, uh, if, if you have results that aren't as good as you want it, it's probably a good wise idea to get that thing last bedded or, or have it looked at by somebody. In terms of stock details, anything you feel like we're missing, any other common questions that you get on stocks that we haven't addressed, anything like that? 
Um, no, the only thing, you know, with all these barrel manufacturers and stuff, uh, when, when ordering a stock, I guess guys just need to have what barrel they're, they're going to be using, you know, and if, if you see something like on our website, we have, we have three different contours or five different contours, but then we say, please list what in the notes, what, if you have a different barrel or something, you know, just have that information handy because we inlet for anything. So does everybody else. So, um, just be more in tune with what you got going on um, and understand what you're getting. If you're getting a custom gun built and you're, you're sourcing the stock, make sure you understand what barrel shank and, and uh, cylinder length and all this stuff that sounds like Swahili to you, but that's some stuff you can ask your gunsmith to help, to help uh, the process out. So, Okay, cool. A few other things, not stock specific, and we've talked about some of these points before, but I'm just always curious to get more thought and opinion and feedback. And when it comes to a custom build versus a guy with a factory rifle that he's maybe going to upgrade over time, the guy with the factory rifle may think he's going to save money going that route, but if he starts upgrading, you know, all these different components and accurizing in action and all that he may just spend as much as a custom build from the beginning um just what are what are some of the thoughts that you have for guys to think through on going custom versus sticking with a factory rifle that they know they might upgrade in the future just that whole discussion yeah no that's that's what we live every day you know and that's the question every day that we have with with customers um you know basically it's it's uh we live in the in the world in my world it's it's buy once cry once type attitude right so that's that's what i kind of go by uh if we know we want to have that most precision we know we want to have we can't have failures we know it has to work every time there's there's no reason why you wouldn't look give any gunsmith or manufacturer that that leash of of okay i need this to be perfect all the time that's the investment you make. That's what you're buying with a full custom build. Like there's all the questions have been, you know, answered. There's no, there's no question. It will work. You know, it's been shot, function tested, everything. That's what you get with the price tag of a, of a full custom build. Um, now the guys, we have a lot of customers that, that like you said, oh, I think I'll just get the action blueprinted and, and, and kind of, you are use my old action and stuff like that. And uh, when it comes down to it, when you're not, you're saving money, but you're just prolonging a process and, and you're probably going to spend close to the same amount of money. And, and if you would have just bought, bought the uh, custom built from the beginning. Um, now that sounds kind of coarse towards those guys, but I, I actually, on the caveat to that, you can be very smart, like the Tika world. Tikas nowadays, you know, you can proof research is offering prefit barrels at a at a good price. They're shooting lights out. You know, there's there's other options out there. Our action, you know, right now, for example, you can go buy a remage barrel, so uh, yeah, with a barrel nut, and you can screw that onto one of our titanium actions and and go out and start shooting, having fun. So. It's just what the customer wants and what their goals are and what they're willing to sacrifice if it doesn't go as planned, I guess. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I mean, it's just a tough – I hate – I want people to get what they want no matter what. They could be spending $2 with us or 
20,000. We just want to make sure like with us that, that they get what they need to have happen, whether it's from going to, you know, Kyrgyzstan shooting Marco Polos or we're shooting whitetail does on our back 40. We just want to make sure that people get what they need. I think there's a, I think a huge part of it too is how involved does a guy want to be like hands on? Because as you mentioned, you can, you can get a good action. You can get some rimage barrels. Like you can kind of build a lot yourself these days. Um, if you kind of want to go that route and enjoy that process, but then it's also on you if you have issues and troubleshooting and working through all that versus just knowing it's actually done by someone with a ton of experience and that it's been tested and you know so there's a big difference there not only in terms of price but i just think in terms of involvement like are you trying to build a gun or are you trying to have a gun built is a big difference yeah and i can appreciate those guys that's where i started you know and then i mean i could have bought i don't i don't even want to talk about what i could have bought without what it cost me to learn this trade you know and I could have probably been retired, but uh, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I I probably could have bought a Ferrari with cash. But um, you know, long story short, yeah, exactly what you said. It's what involvement, what time you want to give. If you have the time and you have the patience, then I I, I encourage people to do it. Um, if you don't have time, like a lot of our clients, they you know they're successful businessmen. Um, they don't have a lot of time. It has to be done. They go on a lot of high end hunts we take on a lot of that responsibility. If you're like I go, I was and still am, you know, in Western public land, do it yourself hunter. And you want to kill that bull you saw last year that was on that ridge that's 700 yards away. You're going to spend all year grinding it out to get that rifle where you want it, you know, on a limited budget, you know? So it's, we deal with all facets and that's why I love where our company is because we, from the components to the custom builds, we kind of deal with everybody. So yeah, that's cool, man. What's your uh, what's your go to rifle these days? What were you picking up this summer, this fall for your hunts in terms of cartridge? Not to sound like a bandwagon guy, but two years ago I started shooting a six uh, five PRC uh, for myself, and I haven't put it down since. So that's all I've used for the past two seasons. Um, and I was actually using factory Hornady ammo. Um, entire time to kind of show the customers that what can be done with it you know and give give them some confidence so what stands out to you about that cartridge um steve's asking because he's on the bandwagon by the way (laughs) oh no join there's plenty of room man so uh the cartridge appealed to me just because when it first was the first inception we we were messing with the 6.5 gap 4s from george gardner from you know years before and and uh factory ammo is what actually set got me excited about it for for a business standpoint because now i have something to offer my customers and then uh, you know i shot the factory ammo and it shot freaking amazing which i couldn't believe so coming you know and i was excited about that and then the overall ballistics and the terminal performance um it it is a hammer, you know, and I shoot elk with it. I mean, I have a limit where I personally hunt, hunt with, you know, with optimal conditions. I don't like shooting past six, 700 yards on animals. And so that fits with the energy profile of that bullet and that cartridge and everything. It fits what I do. Um, and the recoil impulse is very mild. So it's just a fun freaking around, man. And that it, it kills. It's a, it's a hammer. Awesome. So you shoot any of the X's with it? No, uh, 
actually we've been hunting with 147 ELDMs for the past two years. Um, and we can dive more into that now or later, but we've done a lot of testing. We've, we've got a lot of, we have a, a little over a hundred kills, big game kills in the past two years with them. And, uh, just the performance of that bullet is, is pretty amazing. Um, when it comes to killing critters. So, cause Technically, that's a their match bullet, right? Which is for they say target shooting. Or yeah, they, correct. Yep, it's yeah. marked as a as a as a target bullet. Um, the 143s we noticed at the very beginning when they first came out with the ELDX uh, bullet. I guess uh, we're having severe case uh, uh, core separation and uh, penetration was absolutely uh, pretty minimal, and uh, that's what we saw. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, from years before, I was use I've been using target bullets from Burger for since 2008, I think it is, and uh, we can dive on this as a whole other conversation that we don't have to do now. But um, <clears throat> through testing that I did over the years and actually using them, um, I'm learning that's more of a marketing thing with companies and and performance uh, on animals with a thicker jacket with these high velocity rounds is actually performing phenomenal because that's what we're seeing. These rounds are getting so fast and we're spinning them so fast with, with these fast twist rates and the RPMs are up there. I think that we're seeing a lot of case or, uh, you know, the, the jacket, I guess, uh, issues where it's actually separating before it needs to. So mm-hmm. that's, so a thicker jacket actually has been working better for us. And, uh, and that's what we do. I mean, that's it. I like it. Yeah. I was, I was talking with, uh, with someone else that knows way more about rifles than me and has a ton more experience. And he was saying the exact same thing of, he thinks that the whole hunting bullet thing is very overrated from a marketing perspective. And he prefers to shoot match bullets more than anything. And that's, I I won't dive into the details of naming names or anything else like that, but it is, um, it is curious to have a bullet like the LDX and LDM. And I've talked to quite a few guys who've been shooting the LDMs for hunting. Oh yeah, man. And, and we don't try to push anybody. We, we just try to, we try to teach, you know, and show what we do. And, and I just, I guess people that listen to this, I just want them to think outside the box a little bit and actually do some testing, you know, and, and if they have questions about it, just do it, you know, and you don't have to do it on an animal. You can do it. You know, we, we used to take a, a call the meat box and get a bunch of, of scraps from the butcher and, and get back and shoot that thing, you know, and, and, uh, is build a little box and see what that bullet does. You know, that's what we did. And mm. it's, it, trust me, we have a lot of time into it. And it, it just people, if they don't believe it, just look at results and do it yourself. So you mentioned burger before. Are you <laughs> shooting Hornady now mainly because it, it is the best factory offering for the PRC? Or do, are you particular to Hornady for another reason, bullet construction-wise, or burger's still a good choice, that type of thing? I mean, I know we're getting more brand-specific here, but I'm just curious what kind of led that. Yeah, um, the only reason why we shoot Hornady is because the 6.5 PRC and, and now the 300 PRC. Um, that's the only reason why that there's no love of anything except that it works, and that's what we're all about, and that's what we love. Um you know, burger has been a part of our or my life. You know, from day day one of this whole whole endeavor, and uh, I've grown grown really accustomed with them and how they operate and how to load for them and what their capabilities are. And you know, and 
I have no only thing I do with burgers give them money and they give me bullets. So um, I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. So I just like what they what they do. You know, they recently sold uh, to another uh, company. You know, they sold burgers sold. So now we're just going to see if it stays the same as it was or if it's going to change. So so far, bullets have been performing the way they're supposed to. So gotcha. So if a guy's not in the long range game, maybe shooting animals at 600 yards, but is, you know, staying with two, maybe 300 yards. Does that change your thoughts on the bullet selection, bullet discussion, using match bullets? Um, if a guy, yeah, sticks with that shorter mid range, would you personally change bullet suggestions for that? Um, you know, I've had one instance where I shot a, I shot a, uh, animal close with a, with a, it was antelope actually, and I had a doe tag up in Wyoming, and uh, I, I shot her with a burger bullet, target bullet, and it it zipped through her without really doing what I, I'm used to, and that's that's what that was a learning curve, by the way. So the mass of the animal for one wasn't that much. I didn't touch any bones, and it was close. So so saying that, yeah, if if you're shooting, you know, like I said, you know, 200 yards, 300 yards closer, small smaller critters you know it doesn't hurt to go like hornady i think you'll be okay with the the hunting line even the burger hunting line you know it has a thinner jacket probably get the expansion you need um but like i said i've only had one one instance out of a lot that didn't work so it's hard to tell cool man this has been super helpful john um if guys want to learn more whether that's about stocks custom rifles any of that get in contact with you or just check out what's going on with mesa precision what would you have them go um find you guys at yeah just find us on the web you know uh www.mesaprecisionarms.com um hit us up on instagram facebook you know messaging or uh shoot us an email you can email me at info at mesaprecisionarms.com so love to hear from you Well, that's a wrap, guys. Be sure to check out MesaPrecisionArms.com to learn more about what they're up to and see the rifle stocks that they have available. As always, we appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this show or send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com.